0: Hi there, Casey Smith here. This is Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast. On the show this week, I'll be in conversation with Oldham Ruffy Edge chairman, Chris Hamilton. I caught up with him earlier on in the week and we discussed a whole host of issues, including the club's aims for 2021, whether the RFL should realign with Super League and loads more. But first... Let's get into all the action from round two and we'll start with Wiggins' 34-6 win against Wakefield. Now let's talk about Zach Hardacre because early in the season he's replaced Bevan French at full-back, not sure what Bevan French is up to at the moment, I think, he's, is he returning from Australia, he's, he's not playing anyway, Zach Hardacre's got the nod ahead of him, and When Bevan French comes back, it's going to be hard to drop Zach Hardacre actually because he's been one of the top performers in the rounds and he looks really good. You know, he's going to be really knocking on the door for full-back position for England for the World Cup and it's going to be very hard for Adrian Lamb actually because Bevan French last year, who had the full-back position, he was one of the best performers in the league. And I was really impressed with him, but how can you, when he comes back, how can you then move Zach Cardaker out of the position? Don't think you can. But Zach Cardaker in that particular game, the thirty-four-six win, he ran the show. He was instrumental, in, especially in that second half. The stats uh, by Opta on the Super League website: it's he created one try one try assist. He made 164 meters, 8 tackle busts and 18 carries. So, you know, that that backs up my point. In terms of Wakefield, they have lost both of their opening games and that is the same with OKR because they were easily beat by Saints 25-0. I thought they might look more attacking, especially after what we saw with Catalans. You know, they really ran them close. They could have even won it. Ryan Hall was particularly on form, but Saints, obviously, they're a different beast, you know. They're a way ahead of everybody else, it seems, and have been for quite a few years. There was a few times when Hull KR had pressure on, but they never capitalised, clearly, because they didn't score a point. And with Wakefield and Hull in them two games, there were quite a few injuries. I think Tom Johnston were lost for Wakefield. Corbyn Sims was for Hull KR and there was a couple of others as well. So, you know, when you consider the the next few fixtures for the two clubs, especially when they've not won, you know, is there going to be a big gap already after just a few rounds? Because Wakefield's fixtures are Catalans, Saints, Hull FC and... With whole chaos fixtures, it's Castleford, Huddersfield and Leeds. Obviously, the first the first one is in the Challenge Cup. Now, there's an argument for going out of the cup early and, you know, f- focusing on the league because it'll give you a, couple of, a, a few extra weeks off, you know, later on in the season, which they might need considering the Vanthie's injuries. Essentially, you've got to start picking up points now because, you know, after a few rounds and you're still without a win it becomes hard to get out of that cycle. And I think, to be honest, it seems like there's there's two leagues in one. You've got your top seven teams, you know, your, your Catalans, your Castlefords, Leeds, all them type of teams. And then down at the bottom, you've got Wakefield, Hull KR, League, etc. Salford, you could put into them as well. Because they've not been too impressive either. They're without a win too. And we always say with Salford, it's a constant battle with them because every single year, they always lose the players. They've lost Niall Evelts. They've lost quite a few others. You know, the, the list is quite large. Recently, I think, under Ian Watson, they've always been adequately replaced. But have they this year? Because... Now we've had Dan Sargentson at fullback who seemingly has replaced Niall levels. They've also got Morgan Esqueray, but we've not seen a Dicky bird from him actually he's not even I don't think he's been on the bench for these two matches, and to be honest, I don't think Dan Sargentson is an adequate replacement for Niall levels. you know quite a few times I think he's dropped the ball trying to catch it. And he just doesn't have that extra zing that Nile levels has. And perhaps it's slightly um, unfair to suggest he should be as good. But I think it might be time for Morgan Esqueray. And in that Salford loss, I weren't too impressed with Tui Lola here either. He, he missed a few. There were one where the ball was going to go out for a goal line dropout. And him and another player, they just totally missed the ball. And the whole FC attacker, he just waltzed through, put the ball down, and it was another score for, for Hull FC. But another another player in a new full-back role, Jake Connor. You know, it's going to be a very tough decision for Sean Wayne with the full-back position. Obviously, quite a few can play in other positions, but then it's sort of like square pegs round holes type scenario. And he was another top performer. The so-called Mr. Inconsistent... You know, he's putting two good performances on the spin. And is that because of the new coach, Brett Hodgson? You know, a full-back himself, man of steel. Is is he the man to really push him onto the next level? You know, time is going to tell, but I, th- I think he is, actually. Everything is in place. Now then, also, let's discuss Catalan Dragons, because they've beaten Huddersfield, who's everybody's dark horse this year with Ian Watson and a couple of signings they've made. Well, i say a couple, maybe four or five. But it's Huddersfield who really, really struggled, actually. And actually, I had doubts about Huddersfield because they signed top players, you know, top tackling players. Josh Jones, Luke Gates, Joe Greenwood from Wigan. You know, they've signed big men. Who's going to score the tries? Because Huddersfield in the last couple of seasons, where's their weakness been? It's been point scoring, try scoring. We've all, They've always had Jermaine McGilvery. He's been their top try scorer. But, you know, he's never been the top try scorer in Super League. And, you know, is he 32, 33? now he's, he's getting to the end of his career. They've had Ricky Lutelli brought in. He scored a few tries for Toronto. Is he a top scorer for Super League? Perhaps not. But now they've also got him out uh, and Aiden Caesar is going to be on the sidelines for a few more weeks. So what are Huddersfield going to look like in three or four weeks? Are they going to join the bottom half of the table? But yeah, I don't think enough has been done to address the try scoring issues. Perhaps it'll change when Aiden Caesar comes back you know, a creative player who can pass it on to somebody else to score the try, but right now, they look ordinary, to be honest, but Catalan Dragons, I enjoyed that game, actually, because it was quite free-flowing. A lot of the games, a lot of the teams, you see them, you know, picking up the ball, taking the tackle, trying to get as much metres as possible, but not really taking any risks, you know, you see the offloads, but I think sometimes teams are too stuck in, you know, let's complete the set, let's do a kick. But often, you, you, after three or four tackles, you've made not, not many metres. And I think in that game, Catalan's, instead of just taking the tackle, they passed it about the field, they went from left to right, and when they passed it, gaps opened up and... Sam Tompkins exploited that quite quite well, I thought. But, obviously, when you when you pass passing more often, you're making more errors, which they did do. They made quite a few errors, actually, in passing the ball. Quite a few balls were dropped. But it's risk and reward, and the better teams can execute that. So, you know, if you want to be the top team, you're going to have to do that. But the the biggest thing for Catalan's, they maintained the lead and they didn't let Huddersfield back in. And it seems they were just like the usual self. They got us player Sim Bind, as is, as seems to be the case usually with uh, Catalan Dragons. But even then, I don't think they conceded even then when the, the player went off, when they went down to 12. So, you know, what does that say about Huddersfield, you know? An extra man and they still couldn't find the try line. And... God almighty, how many shirts did Catalan Dragons go through? <laughs> there was there was blood on a different player's shirt every couple of minutes, all in the space of, what, 10 minutes? The first half was so stop-start, it was, you know, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, to be honest. But yeah, that was what happened in Super League. Now then, on to the big interview. This week in conversation, Is Chris Hamilton? He's in his 23rd year as Oldham Ruffians chairman, and I first asked him about his club's aims for this year.
1: I'm very much to consolidate ourselves in the championship. Obviously, last season would have been the first one back after getting promoted. That's always a difficult one. But the fact that the pandemic meant that the season was curtailed gave us an opportunity to. extensively recruit which we haven't had the the season before or after the season before so we're hoping that um you know with 14 new players in place for this year that we can um be avoiding a relegation fight and looking further up the table Uh,
0: in all your years as Oldham Sherman have you actually faced a tougher challenge than the one that you've got now you know with Covid
1: um Probably not. No, it's you know just when you think you've seen everything, when you've been in the game for a long period of time, along comes a pandemic. Uh, And and obviously, you know, I'm I'm sort of making light of it there, but it it was very serious. And you know, nobody knows that better than us at the club because our assistant coach Brendan Sheridan was um, very seriously ill with it and nearly lost his life. So. You know, we've got that constant reminder through Shez. Um, But the challenges that that the pandemic has has thrown at us have sort of been varied and long-reaching, really. Uh, Obviously, a period of inactivity from sort of March till uh, November. Um, You know, still lots going on behind the scenes, but, but in terms of physical activity, people training, playing matches, none of that. And then since then, obviously, um, we've we've started pre-season training, but then had another lot more of a pause and pause by the AFL early in January. Um, so it's, it's been yeah, it has been challenging. There's no doubt about that. But obviously, you know we know we're lucky as well to have an exemption through elite sport to be able to to carry on training and then playing.
0: Uh, albeit behind closed doors, so you know we're hopefully coming out the other side. There, yeah, and another bit that the pandemic is um, disrupted is obviously the community aspect to it. And yours is classed as elite, but obviously the the community game won't be classed as elite. And you know clubs like yours rely on the you know the younger players coming through, and also like academies. You know players at the highest level who might just drop out. Might not make the cut. What is the situation with the grassroots, and how is it gonna like affect the sport? With so there's been a year off with the young players coming through. What's the impact gonna be with that? Yeah,
1: uh, I mean, certainly the the community game has been badly disrupted, and you know they've now got um, some timelines for, for them to, to start again. And obviously, you know, we're we're hoping um, that. All those players that were playing before will come back to the game. You know, that it's not a case of having had a year off or the best part of a year off that they're lost to the game in any way. And, you know, we're, we're hoping that, that the game can thrive now, really, that um, it's not far off starting again. I mean, in terms of the academies that you mentioned, obviously, you know, albeit that, again, they did have some disruption. Simply, League academies have... Uh, sort of started again now and, you know, that is an important talent pool for, for clubs like ours. And, you know, this year we've, we've picked people up from Wigan, from, from Warrington, etc. Um, and the community game, we just recently signed Joe Hartley from Oldham us. So, you know, you're quite right to point out that, that it is um, important for clubs like us to have those feeder pools for players that that hopefully can go on to to bigger and better things so the sooner the whole game, you know, whether it be community level, academies um, etc can get back to to normality training and playing then the sooner that will be better for everybody
0: Yeah, back in August I think I read that you'd have about a whole of uh, twenty seven thousand pounds because of reduced central distribution, and obviously no doubt you've lost out because of COVID. How do you address that going forward?
1: Um, well, it's a, it's one of the major challenges that COVID's presented. I mean, that that twenty seven thousand pounds shortfall in central distributions doesn't take into account you know the the, the loss of income from. Um, season tickets where people haven't renewed and through uh, gate receipts for matches played behind closed doors where we still have the same costs in in terms of the players, the the rental of the ground, stewarding, etc., and indeed increased costs because of all the COVID measures that we we need to put in place. So, you know, 27K is, is just one aspect of the loss of income. There will be more and, you know, We've been lucky in in so much as um, last year a, a lot of our season ticket holders donated that the balance of the season tickets to the club to to help us through the, the, the difficult times um, and that has you know been a fantastic gesture by by them. Same with our sponsors, um, CDX Security, and all the others, all did the same uh, didn't ask for any money back and have stuck with us through this year as well. So. You know that has been really good, but the, you know there is no doubt about it that you know no crowds, increased costs, reduced central uh, distributions are making
0: it very tough financially. And the RFL have they, they secured the government loan, you know, to deal with the uh, pandemic. If a club did fall into like serious financial financial issues, you know, facing administration and whatnot, would that would they be protected? Would they be able to survive, you know, with the loan? Um,
1: well, there, there are a whole host of rules and regulations and guidelines and protocols, again, around that government money, which obviously the, the RFL has just secured some additional funding, which has been uh, announced today, um, because obviously lockdown has gone on later than what was initially uh, expected. Um. But I think it's fair to say that uh, most clubs will be hoping to to take advantage of uh, any funding that is available and we're just still waiting now for final guidance and uh, terms and conditions on those loan monies so uh, clubs can make a decision whether they're going to apply for any or not.
0: When fans are allowed back in, in terms of uh, numbers, attendances for your club, are you looking at similar numbers before uh, the pandemic hit or is it, uh, do you think there's going to be some people who might be like you know wary of going back into crowds and things do you think it? what do you think the numbers will be
1: um, well obviously we've got the guidelines set out by the government at the moment which uh, um, by our phone when we play our home matches would mean a capacity of around about 1300 um which for normal games you know would would enable us to to get um people in and socially distanced etc um it is still up in the air because obviously you know we're waiting to see as as lockdown eases what effect that has on infection rates and things like that but hopefully um the rules that are in place will uh, if anything be relaxed the other way so that you know, clubs can can get more people in, um, but I do think that the point you make is a valid one. I think there will be a number of people that might be a, a, a little bit reticent about just carrying on as, as though nothing's happened, and maybe uh, wary of um, sort of you know being in, in a crowd have But most of our fans have obviously been to to power Fold, and, and we'll know that it, it's. Um, it's quite good obviously in terms of first of all, like most grounds you're outside so the risk of infection is increased because of that but also with social distancing measures in place um, you know we're fairly confident that with all the protocols and everything that we've got in place now for running matches behind closed doors, we can extend that to to make it a safe venue once fans are allowed
0: in And you've played at numerous different stadiums over the years and now you currently in Staley Bridge. Is there any yeah. plans for like a permanent home in Oldham?
1: Um, sadly not. Um, we obviously don't want to be playing outside of the Borough, but the only ground that um, meets the Championship uh, minimum standards criteria for the Rugby Football League is Boundary Parker. You know, despite the fact that you know we have tried on numerous occasions to be able to play there as we have done
0: in the past. At the moment, it's, it's not something that um, we're able to do. Right, and is that uh, what's that down to? What Why would Oldham Athletic not uh, see that as something that they want to do? Um,
1: basically because the pitch that is is currently um, at the ground is well past its sell-by date. Um, you have got to be really careful in terms of what activity or additional activity
0: they, they allow on that. Right.
1: Nothing uh, against the club or anything yeah. like that. It's purely a, um, a logistical thing with with the state of the pitch at the moment.
0: Right. Uh, changing tack a bit. Uh, what do you make of the uh, the the Championship Grand Final being held at the home venue of the highest placed team? So. We saw it with Toronto back in twenty nineteen. You know, in order to like grow the game and attract fans, do you not think the championship grand final should be a neutral venue? Well, traditionally, it was
1: um, and obviously we we've played in it when it has been a neutral venue. Um, I think the thinking at the moment is probably twofold, but um, you've. Increase the chance of a bigger crowd if you give in the advantage to home advantage to one of the teams. Um, and I think perhaps more importantly, it's also seen as a reward for the highest place finish uh, that you do get home advantage. Um, it's a difficult one because obviously, you know, with the, the, the prize that's at stake in the championship, i.e., a place in Super League, that that is, you know, if you are playing that game at home, to, to go up into Super League, it's it's a massive advantage, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's probably pros and
0: cons in, in both ways, really. And when that decision gets made, is it a giant thing between the the club chairman, or is it like purely an RFL uh, decision?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's, it, it's basically an RFL board decision Right. so since we've had the independent RFL board um, the club chairman and what have you do get to discuss things and, and can express views one way or another but ultimately the, the decisions are
0: taken um, by the RFL board and do you think that's a good way of operating or do you think that you know club chairman should have a final say really like a vote uh, Again, I think it's, it's it's
1: always been dangerous, really, when, um, and I'm probably speaking against myself here as a club chairman, but it's always can lead to, to dangerous things when uh, clubs are allowed to decide on their own fates, in whatever degree and uh, respect that is. You know, there's always self interest that comes in. Yeah. With an independent board, you know, the aim is that 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 club interest, that self interest is taken away. That that should mean, hopefully, that we get decisions that are made in the best interests of the whole game rather than, you know, individual clubs or a small number of clubs.
0: And a few years ago, Super League split from the RFL. Uh, Obviously, we spoke about self interest and chairman uh, basically in charge. Do you think it's time that? Super League and the RFL should realign?
1: Well, I was one of the people that said they should never have gone in the first place. Um, you know, I got quite vilified for, it, for that view. Uh, I, I do understand why, you know, there has to be uh, certain considerations for Super League as a, as a league on its own. It's the elite level of our game, I get that. Um, but I'm, I, I've always been and remain so that that can be done under the umbrella of the Rugby Football League, so it would be no surprise at all to me, uh, following recent events, if um, you know, Super League came
0: back to the RFL. That were the Oldham chairman there, and Oldham kicked their season off with a win against Rival Swinton. It were 28-20 at the end. 18 of Oldham's points, actually, came in the second half. And they nilled Swinton Lions. So, a big effort after half-time. So, credit has to go to the Oldham coach there. And Oldham, obviously, they've got a couple of weeks off because they went out, ironically, to Swinton in the Challenge Cup. So, their next fixture is Batley Bulldogs. That's an early kick-off on Saturday. Just having a look at the other fixtures, they've got London and then they've got Halifax. So, they, they're quite a few tough fixtures there but let's talk more championship because i'm sure you may have seen on sunday there was an absolute mauling in the championship and on the end of it were bradford they got absolutely battered by sheffield eagles many people did not see that coming you know everyone oh tight game not at all 28 nil it was at half time I don't think Sheffield made one error N- definitely not in the first half anyway and in the second half Bradford put in a bit of effort but after a couple of minutes it was it normal service resumed and Sheffield <laughs> they piled on the points again and again and again and again Anthony Fagli was having an absolute field day I don't know what, what happened with Bradford Bowles but my god they're going to have to bloody improve because that was, that was just rubbish, and there was some bizarre decision making in that match. You know, take kicking, kicking the ball on the second tackle. I think it was they lost the possession straight after, and I, I think it might have resulted in a try the other way as well. But John John Keir, the Bradford coach, he was just, he was fuming after the match. So, and also let's not forget. Sheffield, they, they missed quite a few kicks, so it could have been, you know, 60 points and, and John Kear made the point after the match that they conceded quite a lot against Featherstone in the Challenge Cup, 41 points conceded, so over over two games, they've nearly conceded 100 points so there's definitely work to do, to say the least other scores in the Championship it was a late fight back by Newcastle Against Widnes, it was thirty sixteen to Widnes at half-time and then Newcastle, good effort there. You know, newly promoted. Widnes one of those that want to be more looking towards the top of the table rather than the bottom. Toulouse beat York. I think people expected that. And Dewsbury beat uh, Whitehaven. Also, another another interesting result is Halifax forty seven, London fourteen. I thought when I when I saw that fixture I thought, God, you know, I thought thought London might have been better there Because Halifax they've Halifax have signed quite a few players, but you know, London were not in Su so they were they were in Super League not long ago, but when you look at London's Super League team compared to the team they have now you know, some some of them names, you know, they've lost quite a, a load of players, basically. So, it's going to be an interesting season for London, I think. And Featherstone beat Batley for the hundredth time, it seems. the seems that it's the only team they've been playing in recent weeks. But, yeah, that's what happened in the Championship. And next week, of course, well, starting Friday, uh, the league's taking a break. The Challenge Cup... For the Challenge Cup, Hull KR playing Castleford, York against Wigan, Salford with New Saints, Leeds, Catalans, Wakefield, Featherstone, Hull, Sunday, Swinton, Warrington, League, and Huddersfield. Now, looking at them fixtures, you you don't think there's going to be many shocks, but it's going to all be in. Is people is p- are they going to rest players? Because if players are rested, then the the smaller teams have got every chance. But then you'd say, you know, it's only round round two, round three, if that counts. Is there any need to rest players at this stage? Probably not, but we'll find out anyway. And that's all for this week's episode. Next week, the special guest is Paul Scanlon-Wells of Rochdale-Mayfield. And we're talking... Everything Community Rugby League, how the pandemic has affected the sport, what it's like to be back, all the big issues next week on Shoulder Charge. (laughs)